Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 267 or 267. My name is John O'Logan, and this is the last episode of Random Encounter before the release of Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom uh, in two weeks. Now, I imagine that many of you are excited. We certainly are. Uh, so the next episode of Random will likely just be a bunch of people freaking out about Zelda. I suspect no one listening will mind. But that isn't this week's episode. This week's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, two games uh, that I am actually pretty, pretty damn excited about. No, I, actually, one of them out. I, I was actually as excited as Zelda, but we'll get into this. So joining us today is Caitlin. Hi, guys. And making his first appearance on the show, Ben. Hi. Welcome, Ben. You were on uh, Retro a few weeks ago, right? That's correct. What episode was it? It was the... Uh... Oh, it was the uh, non-RPG favorites episode. Oh, so this is going to be your first RPG podcast for RPG fan. Yes, and I'm talking about a game that is only not really an RPG either, so. <laughs> Ooh, building a brand already. Um, before RPG fan, did you do any other kind of podcasting? No, I haven't actually. So um, this is my first first foray into podcasting, but I've enjoyed it. Um, you guys are all lovely, so. Aw, thank you. And I mean, based on the, the first minute and a half I've been talking to you, I think it will go great. <laughs> okay, so let's just hop right in. So, um. Seeing as we will be talking about a Game of the Year contender Legend of Zelda game next week, it's only appropriate that we're talking about a Horizon game the week before that. Yes. Because this damn series has no luck. So uh, we're talking about Horizon Forbidden West, The Burning Shores. It's the DLC for Forbidden West. Uh, the Horizon series started in 2017 with Horizon Zero Dawn that introduced us to the robot monster hunter and all-around badass Aloy. And then Breath of the Wild came out a week later, slightly overshadowing it. Um then the sequel, Horizon Forbidden West, came out in 2022, and it vastly expanded on the world. It introduced new characters, gave us some old favorites, and it generally improved the entire experience. And then Elden Ring came out a week later, slightly overshadowing it. Um, and now, you know, The Burning Shores has come out, and Caitlin is here to talk about it. So, Caitlin, how do you feel about the Horizon series? I really hope that the next game, the, the, the third game in the series, I really hope it comes out in a window with nothing else around it. It would be so nice. Just so we can break <laughs> the cycle of Horizon comes out and then the goat comes out and everyone forgets about Horizon or the discourse becomes this toxic thing of, oh, well, Horizon's good, but Elden Ring, Breath of the Wild, like, come on, no competition. Ugh. I know it's so frustrating because Horizon does have a reputation of being like, it actually has a very positive reputation, but it also kind of has the feel of an also ran because of that, that general narrative, like the, the classic, always a bridesmaid, never a bride thing. And it's very frustrating because in any other year at any other time, when not paired against these games, I think the Horizon games would be games of the year contenders. Yes, I agree. Because they are gorgeous and fun and they create uh, beautiful open worlds and uh, I think it also has one of the best protagonists uh, in video games right now, which I know you feel very passionate about. Yeah, I love Aloy so much. Like, I think that was one of the things that drew me to the first game in the first place was just how uh, how strong and confident and uh, amazing Aloy was. And it wasn't like she was the first female protagonist who was strong and confident and amazing. Um, you know, certainly Mass Effect exists and games before Mass Effect, of course. But it was, I think what was so cool was this is a, a you know, um, this is the first game that, of what is now a series. It is a AAA first party 
well, it was for a while exclusive. It's now on it, it, Zero Dawn's on PC, and Forbidden West will certainly be on PC as well uh, soon. I would I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but you know, to for for Gorilla to especially for Gorilla to go from Killzone into uncharted territory for them, and to have the game star a woman and not only to just star a woman, but you know, you watch uh, some of the behind the scenes development videos about the first game. And it's very clear that it, they couldn't have done this game would not have been made just, you know, Oh, with a male Aloy, like it's not an interchangeable experience. It had to be Aloy and they wanted very dearly to make it Aloy. And I, I totally respect them for that. And it helps that it's, probably one of the most beautiful video game engines in existence still today. Like, you know, Decima, they're making it better and better. Like Burning Shores is a, is a PS5 exclusive DLC. So they get to use the power of the PS5 and there's some improvements there that are really amazing. But even, you know, with Zero Dawn, such a, an amazing engine. I mean, like when you have Kojima of <laughs> all people wanting to use your engine because it's so great. I mean, like as much as I have problems with Kojima, you know, respect the man for uh, putting out uh, video games that are visual spectacles. So if he wants to use your engine, it's good. Yeah, this this engine does two things extraordinarily well. One, both of which the Horizon series is known for. One is... Uh, absolutely incredible like complex monster designs with mm-hmm. like lots of lots of uh i, I guess um, components yeah. detachable components and Tons lots of, components. of moving parts yeah. yeah lots of moving parts and it one thing it does a brill- just brilliantly is a uh, natural world like it just looks so gorgeous this is a game where you spend 60 to 100 hours just playing it and then you spend another 60 to 100 hours just sitting in photo mode taking screenshots <laughs> at various different times of day. I'll, I often take pictures multiple times because it's like, okay, well, daytime looks good, but what about sunset? What about nighttime? You know, and everything looks good. So I take multiple pictures. Yeah. I, I mean, what I would like to say is if you are a fan of Abandoned Places YouTube, uh, of which it, that's, a, that's one of my favorite subcultures on YouTube, just people exploring abandoned places, you should play this game. Mm-hmm. because it it beautifully does in a way that is much more much less stylized and let's say uh fallout fallout does like you know well-known landmarks but but decimated by time centuries past and uh, war and that kind of thing this game does the same thing but you get to see these natural landmarks overtaken by nature in a very organic way and it's gorgeous yeah it's interesting to see a, a post-apocalyptic game that isn't so drab and brown and gray like most of them tend to be and horizon so colorful and vibrant in a way that i think is really appealing compared to a lot of other games that take a similar like setting or whatever yeah ben have you you haven't played forbidden west have you played uh, zero dawn yeah i have played horizon zero dawn and i really enjoyed it um at the time in 2017 when it came out um, I think it was really cool to see Gorilla, um, who is a studio that um, has a lot of technical proficiency, but was always kind of stuck making, um, you know, dark first person shooters kind of get to branch out a little bit. And uh, I was always really struck playing Horizon, the creativity of having these these big mechanical creatures that are 
you know, big cats or dinosaurs or all the different kind of creatures that you see um, in Zero Dawn. And um, I think they're really kind of the star of the show in the same way that like a Monster Hunter game, the monsters are the star of the show. I think so, um, too. Mm-hmm. But I haven't played Forbidden West, so um, I'm curious to hear what Caitlin thinks. Well, I know Caitlin loves Forbidden West, um, but let's let's talk about the setup for The Burning Shores. So what happens here? So Burning Shores is a post-game DLC. Um, unlike the DLC from Zero Dawn, uh, The Frozen Wilds, which you could play. In fact, you had to play it uh, before completing the main game because when you beat the main game in Zero Dawn, it takes you back to before the final mission. Um, Burning Shores, you have to have finished the main story in Forbidden West, and it takes place narratively after the events uh, in that last quest. FYI for everyone, there's going to be some light spoilers going ahead, and we might talk some heavier spoilers later in this conversation, but I'll give you a heads up about that. Yeah, that's a good call, because it's kind of hard to discuss the setup for Burning Shores without Mm -hmm. talking about the big bads of Forbidden West. So said big bads are called Zeniths. They are basically nigh immortal, super advanced human beings who fled Earth way back when the apocalypse happened and have now returned to uh, Earth. And a huge part of Forbidden West was figuring out why, what they wanted, and then, of course, having to deal with them. Burning Shores starts off shortly after you've uh, well, you think you've wiped them all out, and Silence, played by the late and great Lance Reddick, uh, who the DLC is dedicated to, uh, was really touching to see that in the credits, by the way, um, tells Aloy that there's actually another Zenith that escaped uh, the final conflict, and Aloy has to chase him down because all Zeniths, and this is true, are dangerous sons of bitches. And also, it's possible that this Zenith might have information or technology that they can use to fight the real big bad that gets revealed in the 11th hour of the main game. So Aloy has to travel to another region um, called the Burning Shores, and it's the ruins of Los Angeles, uh, which I'm sure, like, when we found out where we were going in Forbidden West, you know, you, one of the later uh, locations was San Francisco. I'm sure a lot of people were thinking, okay, well, if we're going to San Fran, maybe we can see Hollywood. Maybe we can go to LA. Well, we go to we go to LA. Do we ever? Yeah, it oh, it's amazing. I we talk we're talking about the um, seeing all of the ruins in the series, and there's a lot of ruins in the burning shores because obviously LA was, is a huge city. So it's full of ruins. There's pretty much, there's nowhere you go in this game where you don't see ruins. And a lot of it is, uh, you know, skyscrapers and uh, apartment and office buildings. So there's a lot of, you know, the old world presence uh, that you feel versus like, you know, large chunks of zero dawn and forbidden West where you could be mostly in nature and not really, Uh, see or feel the presence of the old world ruins yeah it's hard to miss here yeah it's a separate map um in the sense that you cannot uh travel uh organically from the main map you you have to go through a loading screen although it it does when you look at the map in the game you can see the rest of the map you can see it's not it's really actually not that far away from one of the land masses in the main game but it's still separate and that's uh, largely because of the new technology, I would imagine that they introduced in this mm-hmm. DLC. That they, uh, for the cloud tech in particular, is 
different and is in fully uh, very much improved in Burning Shores versus the main game. So I imagine they had to do a, a hard load in order to facilitate that. Um, but since you're playing on PS5, it is a fast load, so it's not it's barely anything. And it's a nice big map, as one might expect, given how large the main map in Forbidden West is. There's a bunch of different islands, there's lots of water, uh, you know, it, it's a sizable, nice little area to explore. Um, and you will spend a lot of time exploring it, as one does, um, in part because the the way the story is structured, you're, they, they kind of, they uh, have to gate you uh, off of different areas in order to control progression through a particular, uh, shall we say, uh, headache <laughs> that's introduced right when Aloy arrives, this zenith tower that can shoot things out of the sky so you can't fly around at first. So it's sort of like, in a way, the DLC is restarting you a little bit like you you know you you fly to the burning source because you unlocked flying at the end of the main game but we can't let you just immediately fly everywhere so here's an obstacle that you have to uh get rid of before you can fly and then you'll find you know you deal with one tower there's there's more than one tower so you can't just go everywhere at once and that's nice because it forces you to do some exploration on land it keeps you from accessing like everything in the new map all at once uh, before even touching the main story. Like it basically, it requires you to progress the main story at least somewhat um, if you want to uh, really fully explore everything in the area. Hmm. And I mean, speaking about starting from scratch, uh, I started it a couple of days ago and I very rapidly realized one of my least favorite things about DLC is that... especially a year after it comes out, I forget how to play the game. And I am like, I am, you know, fully end game equipped. I have all of my amazing bows and it's, you know, I'm, I'm such a powerhouse. And then I just get bodied by a burrower because I've forgotten how to do anything. Yeah. I had the same experience. I was, I forgot what the bows were. So I was using my sharpshooter bow, which is the, the, the uh, sniper rifle bow mm-hmm. basically. And it has a very slow drawback. It's powerful, but it's not meant for close range combat necessarily. I was using that and then wondering why it was taking me so long to, to shoot and mm-hmm. getting, like you said, getting bodied in like the very first encounter. Because while it, the game, while the, the DLC does kind of control how you can explore the region, it doesn't restart you at like a lower level in terms of your your equipment or your skills. You are exactly where you were at the end of the main game, or you know, whenever you you start this DLC. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, it's it's been over a year since the main game came out, so. What I would say is you might want to run around the Forbidden West, the main map, a little bit if you haven't touched this game since uh, last year, just to refresh your memory, because it is going to throw you into an encounter right at the beginning. Yeah, with a uh, with a machine that you've actually never seen before. So not only are you trying to remember how to play the game, you're also trying to learn a new monster, which is a, it's a good monster, but it is, uh, yeah. Um, you're, th- you're thinking... I, no, I'm thinking the no. I was thinking immediately after that. The uh, you're thinking the bile gut. I love the bile gut. I didn't know what it was at first, and I was like, "Oh, it ha- Oh, it's a frog." Well, like, let's um, let's talk about that. It's a frog. Yeah. Um. So there are new machines, uh, in the Burning Shores. There 
is not there's not as many as I would have hoped. Um, the bile gut is really cool and really annoying. Um, honestly, mm. that uh, tongue. the tongue and and the the leaping and all of its little eggs that it spawns to get in your face um, when the. I'm really missing like some of the frozen wild uh, uh, weapons that because Aloy doesn't really have a good uh, machine gun weapon. You have you have the bolt blaster, but it's not it's still kind of like one of those burst kind of weapons and it has a very long reload. So it's it's not necessarily as ideal as I would like. Um, I don't I'm not so much of a fan of enemies that like can leap from far distances and just body slam me <laughs> um and i mean i guess i will say that as much as i like the combat and i still do enjoy the basic combat system in this game i think coming back to this dlc just kind of remind and, and with some of the new enemies like the bile gut uh kind of reminded me that um i hope they make a few adjustments to dodging in the next game and also mm. please for the love of God, give Aloy a shield. Give yeah. give her a give her a block. Something she needs. She needs a defensive option because she, clearly, I, I think the combat system would work actually a lot better if you could strategically block, which you you really can't. I I mean I I really I agree with you. I really like the combat in this game, but it's actually a strength of Forbidden West how they build up the combat's difficulty over time. Uh, and introduce new mechanics with the new with the upgrades and things like that and being able to do different things but starting a dlc especially post-game dlc it just kind of feels very much like the game just dumps all of that in your lap to the point where i wouldn't have minded if it reset you slightly in terms of gameplay mechanics just so you don't feel completely overwhelmed if you haven't played in a long time yeah i honestly i would i would i think i would agree with that like you know not now we're not talking about like oh Ailey loses all of her weapons or all of her skills, but yeah, we're just, not talking a beginning of Metroid game. We're just 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 something uh, to sort of reset the playing field a little bit, and then also to you know uh, make you feel like you because they they increase the level cap, which again that's you know that's something that the Frozen Wilds with the first game did too. Um, but if you're like me. I was at max level when I finished the game because I did most of the side content alongside the main story path. So I was already level 50 when I actually before I finished the main game. Yeah, me too. Um, And the new level cap is 60, but the quests themselves start off in the 30s. Mm. uh, In terms of like the the Burning Shores quests. Um, So I was in some respects kind of almost over leveled and that was fine. I guess that kind of helped... um, me not feel as overwhelmed because yeah, it, was it mitigated the, it slightly yeah but still like it's the kind of thing that i find a little interesting because it made sense with like the frozen wilds that the uh uh the levels there would be a little bit different because you could do that at any different you know you could do it shortly before you hit like the midpoint in the game or you could do it right before the final boss um, but here, this is a post-game DLC. I, I know what you mean, though. Post-game DLC has, uh, there are strengths and weaknesses to both of it. Post-game DLC, I think we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but it feels very much like a not-quite-sequel, um, which is something that a lot of people like because it, it, you know, it gives them, it lets them advance the plot line in a way that they don't have to wait years and years for the next entry of the series. But at the same time, uh, it 
games have an at last boss for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then there is usually a post game, but the post game is usually optional. Whereas this is, it, it's a weird dynamic. Um, and one of my problems with burning shores, not that I have a lot of problems with it because the bottom line here is if you enjoyed uh, horizon forbidden West here, have some more horizon forbidden West. It's, it's great. Um, but it does feel slightly, uh, it, it's a, it's a bit of a retread, especially in terms of the villain. The villain isn't, at the moment, I'm not through the whole game. I'm probably about, mm, I'd say, forty percent through. I've just, I, I just finished a, a whole thing at uh, the observatory, um, and uh, I'm finding I've just found a new cauldron. Um, and, but I've had some interactions with the villain, and it just kind of seems like a. I mean, the whole po- the whole thing about the Zenus is it's like, what if Elon did to Earth what he has done to Twitter? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and you know these people are amoral sociopaths who were the rich and famous in our time well you know not in our time like 50 years on from our time um but they are the the billionaires and the the people who control the earth and they're frankly insane and they haven't gotten any better over the centuries um but i mean i wish that they had put some kind of a spin on the villain in this game that maybe a slightly more i don't know sympathetic angle or something because he just kind of screams the same type of baddie you've been fighting for the last couple of games and frankly speaking i mean in terms of being a he really can't beat ted oh no i mean yeah because you can't you can't top the man who doomed humanity i know but even even ignoring the dooming humanity part you just can't beat ted for being a massive and being like the most the, the best and most horrible villain in the game so i feel like trying to compete with that in a level of, ooh, who can be the biggest sociopath? You're not going to win. But, like, it also, uh, so Walter Londra is the name of the Zingeth that you're hunting, and it feels almost like you spend most of Forbidden West hearing about the Zeniths, learning tiny little things about them, but never interacting with them for the most part until the very end. And then it was, and a lot of them, you didn't even know their names. Like, the, the final confrontation, there's a bunch of Zeniths that just, die in die. the background yeah you never even know what they're called and everything you learn about these people is they're you know they were the ceos of major powerful companies they were rich people and they all were bad people they were they they were either you know uh sociopathic uh you know murder bots or they they you know were heartless leaders of their companies or whatnot and in a sense they're all kind of responsible for the uh the the the, the world that the earth was before Ted Farrow came in and said, hold my beer mm. and did them one better. And Londra is the same, only worse because you learn more about him. And he's also kind of more despicable than anything you learn about the other Zeniths uh. in a way that I, I say in my review, it's going to make your skin crawl. It's really, it's, I, mm. And well, I mean, I actually, like, it's a complicated I like skin crawling thing when it comes to a terrible, terrible villain. It's well, it's, it's like I, I, I know what they were going for, but mm-hmm. it just, you know, after dealing with the Zeniths as the bad guys in the main game, it feels over the top. It's sort okay. of like here's more of these these rich people being awful, selfish, uh, haughty, sociopathic pricks, um, and but they do it the same way. Like you, you. You learn about Londra through logs and through conversation with other characters. It's a lot of tell and not show. And I guess I was just, you know, kind of hoping that, you know, if we're going to do more Zenith stuff that, yeah, like you said, that they could have found ways to subvert 
the player's expectations. Well, that's one of the reasons that I love love to hate Ted so much is that yeah, Ted is let's just use Elon because he's the current uh, the the current poster boy for this kind of person. Um, but much like Elon, Ted always thought that he was the good guy. It never occurred to Ted that he was the villain. Like to the end, Ted thought he was a good person and he was trying his best and he was trying to do what the what was good for humanity. And it's sick and it's gross and obviously it leads to the end of the world. But that mentality makes for a more compelling villain to me than just someone who is a sociopath who is incredibly selfish and self-centered. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I think that there's... Um... I think that there is a, a symmetry between Ted and the Zeniths. Hmm. Um, but Ted is, I think the magnitude of what Ted does is it puts him on a different sort of a different pedestal almost because yeah. and this is, you know, one man's hubris that destroys the world. Inci- incidentally, at no point am I saying that Ted is a good person. <laughs> Ted. But like he thinks he is. And to me, that's interesting. Yeah. Why don't we pivot from who is the the skin crawling character to uh, your favorite character in this uh, DLC? Yeah. So one of the, or really pr- the primary new character that the, the uh, Burning Shores introduces is named Seika. She is a member of the Quen tribe. Uh, and the Quen, uh, to refresh our memories, or if you haven't played Forbidden West, um, the Quen are a little bit different from the other tribes in uh, the Horizon series. They actually, uh, some of them anyway, have access to focuses. And they use focuses to uncover what they call the legacy, which is basically just information that the focus gives them about what things are and history and things like that. So they have a little bit more scientific and technological know-how than the other tribes and and a little more knowledge of what the reality of this world is. Of course, they misunderstand it greatly. Um, and that's one of the things that you learn in the main game. But so after Aloy gets to the Burning Shores, she very quickly meets Seika, who is not a diviner. Um, the diviners are the people in the Quen society who use the focuses. And that's one of the sort of regressive things about their society is that only the people with focuses know the information and everybody else is kind of kept in the dark and just follows along. Seika is a Marine. She's not a diviner. She grabbed a focus off of a dead diviner um, in order to find her sister and uh, some other Quen that went missing after uh, her expedition ran into trouble as they were crossing the ocean and crashed, basically uh, got shipwrecked and, and wound up in the burning shores. So she's a lot like Aloy in that she uh, she is capable and strong and she doesn't care about setting aside the, the mores of her society, what her society considers acceptable if it means saving her people and saving her sister even if it means, you know, facing censure or expulsion or whatever, she's determined to find her people. And she and Aloy really kind of bond over both like their their shared circumstances. They 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 are going they they quickly find out that they are going after the same person, that this zenith that Aloy is chasing is also probably responsible for the disappearance of Seika's people. But they also just bond because they're very similar people in spirit, and it's uh, nice. It's a it's a cute 
uh, sometimes fraught relationship because Aloy being Aloy doesn't want to tell Seika everything. Um, and it ends uh, or it it grows into uh, this kind of, I, I really enjoyed where the relationship went. Um, yeah, let's just move into spoiler territory. Don't spoil it entirely because I don't, I don't want to th- know the details. However, I know that you are itching to talk about it. So why don't you just uh, bottom line it for us? Uh, bottom line, Aloy kisses a girl. <laughs> is that too spoilery? No, I don't think that's too spoilery. I think that's the, that is, uh, I mean, I love the way you put it in your review, by the way, in your prose. It's yes. just, it's very yeah. happy. It makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> you want to you give, do you want to say it? Folks, Aloy is queer. Deal with it. <laughs> and I mean that, and I know I'm going to get reactions from some people on social media who's like, oh, why, why, why the attitude? Why do you have to bring that up? I bring it up because it's important. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I really think like, uh, this is not a no matter what the 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 review bombers on metacritic say this is not like they just turned her queer she's been queer since day one like mm-hmm. go back and replay zero dawn you will see so many hints at aloy's orientation it, but it's just nice to have the confirmation and in not and not in a way that to me it, it did not feel like it was like you know oh well i guess we're going to have to you know have them you know, you know, get together or whatnot. It felt, it felt cute and natural. Um, I mean, it's DLC. Like I would have, I think we all would have preferred if they could have maybe done this in the main game. Um, and there's always the question of, okay, th- what does this mean for the next game? Does this mean mm-hmm. that Aloy is going to be able to, you know, pursue relationships in the next game? Is Seika going to be in the next game? I certainly hope that both of those are true, but I will take what I can get. And <laughs> if it's, if it's a way to confirm, like I, I've talked about how I see Aloy, how I've seen Aloy as queer and how that's also part of what drew me to her. I've, I, wrote, I wrote a piece for the site about asexual representation. And despite her kissing a girl, I still think that she's ace. Um, and I won't get into it. You can be lesbian and you can be ace. That is a thing. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just nice to have it presented this to have the confirmation again like i said part of what was cool about aloy is this is a new i well it's a now a series but it's a triple a new you know first party exclusive series and to have any sort of queer rep in a game like that that's going to uh get a lot of attention just because of it being a first party triple a game that's exclusive to a console like that's a lot of that is just nice to have and it's done well and it feels natural and i love it so that's that's you know (laughs) that's kind of i'll I'll freely admit that when i said deal with it part of me was kind of reacting to the news about the uh the user uh review bombing on metacritic because it's Mm -hmm. just like part of me is just tired uh every time you know it's it's so predictable whenever there is uh queer up that people react this way. And so part of, me is, part of me is just like, you know, I am in a way speaking to what I expect will be a response to this review of people complaining about it being a thing and it complaining about me pointing out that it's a thing. But you know what? Deal with it. That yeah. is my my thought. I don't want to say too much more about this because I feel like you've said 
pretty much exactly what I would like. I'd like to point out that these this review bombing, bombing and any criticism about her being queer, it's in bad faith because the kind of people who would complain about this are people who already weren't on board with the character of Aloy in the first place. People who didn't pay attention to the character of Aloy in the first place. Yeah, yeah I was, was going to say Aloy is like the, the character that, uh, you know, certain types of people uh, got really mad at because she had, you know, like hair on her face. She looks like a realistic human. There was, they're like, oh, there's little bitty hairs on her face or whatever. I remember that was like <laughs> a huge thing that yeah. she looks like a real person and not like a idealized version of a woman that's really common that you get in other games. And so I think there's a lot of people predisposed to hate on this game for those yeah. reasons just to begin with. Yeah. So going after her for being queer seems like it's it's in, I'd say it's in bad faith, but it's in bad faith from bad people. So I'm not particularly bothered by it. That could get me into trouble, but I don't give a crap. Okay, hey, Caitlin, are you excited for future Horizon games based on where this lets off? Uh, I am. With, I mean, I was okay. I was always going to be excited <laughs> after after the the ending of the main game, um, and I'm still excited. Um, I have questions. Uh, this. This doesn't really move the needle barely at all with regards to that cliffhanger from the main game of what are we doing about this 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 real big bad that it's on its way. There's the tiniest of hints at the very end that suggest a route that maybe the the next game or the start of the next game might go, but it's just it's really little. Like so, if you if you were hoping that maybe this DLC would start. Aloy and her companions down the path of figuring out how to deal with Nemesis mm -hmm. is not going to happen. Like this is, that's part of the reason why it, the story does kind of feel like a rehash is that it's pretty much all about Londra and dealing with him. So it's just like, you know, it's more, Oh, Zeniths, pew, pew, bad Zeniths. Yeah. Um, but again, like, you know, that's the tricky thing about post game DLC uh, in a, well, trilogy or beyond, who knows, um, where the main game leaves off with that sort of cliffhanger is you're probably never going to get any significant step forward in that, what do we do about this this bad guy? Because that's what the next game is going to be about. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not, to say that, that's not to say that just because, you know, we don't deal with Nemesis and just because Londra is... Uh, skin crawling over the top zenith again doesn't mean that there isn't a satisfying climactic end to this dlc there is i will not spoil it but i will just say that fans of the series especially you know and not just for red and west but the entire series you'll be eaten well at the <laughs> end of this dlc you will be happy at the end of this dlc in terms of like what the final experience what the the final story mission is it's real good i i had a fun time with it i um i want to fight more of the final boss thing but who knows if they'll do that um but yeah so like yeah i'm i'm excited um i like i said i wish that maybe there was a little bit more of a like okay this is what we're gonna do or maybe we learned a little bit more about nemesis and how nemesis came to be more than the than the main game tells us anyway but mm -hmm. i i get why that probably wasn't likely um honestly some of my biggest questions right now are what's gonna happen to silence because yeah. that is i do not envy the position that gorilla is in 
with regards to uh, what they were originally planning to do with this character before Lance Reddick passed away and what they now have to decide they're going to do. Like there mm -hmm. are, there are multiple different avenues and there are different ways that they could, could work it. And I kind of don't know where I fall. Like part of me wants them to recast because the character is so interesting and is a big part, I think of the experience. Mm-hmm. But then part yeah. of me also is kind of like, I don't know how it would feel to have a recast. And in some respects, I almost kind of want them to pull a Disney and not, or, you know, Marvel and not recast the character out of respect. Mm. So, but like I said, I don't, that's not for me to, to call. And I really do not envy, you know, uh, whoever's decision it is down the line to do with the character. But yeah. I feel like it'll be the call between Gorilla and presumably uh, his family. I mean, there are a lot of avenues they could go down, even if they recast, because it's a it's a character model. Um, they could continue with the character model with the blessings, with the blessing of the family, mm -hmm. um, with a new voice actor honoring what came before, or they could just recast. It could they could go the the full Peter Parker. Uh, uh, <laughs> but um, I haven't actually played the uh, the re. The remaster is it? It's more of a remaster than a remake. Right? It's a remaster, and it's fucking weird. But I, um, I, I did play the original <laughs> Spider-Man, and so when I get around to replaying it, I think I'm gonna be weirder the chocobo out. I think it would be weirder to do that with the character than just leave him as he is or cut him out, because it just feel it would that almost feels more disrespectful to like take Lance Reddick's likeness out, you know. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you're probably right. But anyway, if you if you are excited for future Horizon games, uh, there are you're going to be eating well, as Caitlin said, because there's the VR game Horizon Call of the Mountain, which is currently available, which I would like to play, but I can't because I don't have a VR headset. Um, there are rumors that a multiplayer game set in the same world will be coming out. And then, of course, there's Horizon 3 that would continue the story. Um, now, it's safe to say, however, that however long the wait for Horizon 3 will be, it will not be nearly as long as the wait for Advanced Wars 1 Plus 2 Reboot Camp felt. Um, because <laughs> this game has a, oh, it has a story. So uh, this is a remake of Advanced Wars and Advanced Wars 2 for the GBA. It was announced in June of 2021 during the, during the Nintendo Direct, and it was planned to be released on December 3rd. Uh, it was then delayed to April 2022. Russia invaded Ukraine in March of 2022, so Nintendo, very wisely, I think, uh, decided to delay the game further, you know, understandably, given the content of the game. Um, and then we heard damn near nothing about it for a year. Uh, it left all of us wondering, like, when will this come out? Will this ever come out? Uh, is this, are they just going to have to, like, revamp it? Are they just going to put it in a drawer somewhere? Uh, especially because the war wasn't over. Uh, so the original rationale of delaying the game did not go anywhere. But, you know, finally, I guess Nintendo's patience came to an end, uh, and it was released uh, a little over a year after its planned release in April 2022. Ben, was it worth the wait? Yeah, so um, I, you know, that's kind of a, that's a hard one to answer. I would say in some ways it was worth the wait. Um, I think it's really great to be able to experience these two games again. I think they're some of the best games on the Game Boy Advance, and they are really, really good. Um, still with this remake, but um, the remake's also kind of a big missed opportunity in some mm. in some key areas um, that is a little disappointing, but not enough to to make it you know not worth playing. I would say. Ben, have you played the uh, Advance Wars games in the past? 
Yeah, so I grew up with those games, um, played, put hundreds of hours into Advance Wars 1 and 2, and then Dual Strike on the DS and uh, Days of Ruin that would come after. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the series, um, and it's really been a, a really long time, not just waiting for um, Reboot Camp to come out, but just for anything um, in the series. Uh, you know, it was very dormant for a very long time. Oh, yeah, it was so dormant that it, it got its own spiritual successor, Wargroove. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, so dormant that they made a uh, an indie spiritual successor that in some ways surpasses the modern attempts, you know. We, yeah, which will be having its own sequel coming out next year. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was a big fan of Wargroove too. Um, I thought it was a, a pretty good uh, game, kind of does some things differently. So I'm excited for the for the sequel. But, um, you know, there's 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 some things that are, you know, unique to Advance Wars. I think the the charm and the style um, the characters and everything um, that that uh, you can't really get anywhere else. And uh, Reboot Camp does maintain some of that, and then some of it, um, it, it kind of squanders a little bit, I think, with some of the changes. But hmm. Well, originally it was developed by Intelligent Systems. Uh, Intelligent Systems did one and two. Yes. Uh, and then I guess they, they brought in the current... The current uh, reigning champs of retro style games, Way Forward. Um, yes. I love Way Forward. They do they do some great stuff. Uh, they brought them in to do the remakes, so which you know theoretically would be a perfect fit. Yeah, um, it's kind of an interesting pick because Way Forward doesn't really do. They're really more known for their two D you know platformers like the Shantae series, um, and maybe some of their licensed game adaptations like the the Mummy remastered on Switch, which is actually a really good game. I've heard that. Well, I, I've heard that. It's better than the movie is what I have heard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but they don't really do a lot of like uh, turn-based strategy games. Um, so I think they were kind of an interesting choice. I think as far as like their work on this game, um, I think was pretty good. Um, you know, I don't I don't you know, I don't think they were a bad choice. And um, I think a lot of, you know, with any especially when I think a an independent developer is working on a Nintendo property. Um, you know, we've seen in the past, like Nintendo has a lot of creative control. So um, some of the things that, you know, maybe aren't, are a little more disappointing about it, I wouldn't necessarily put um, at WayForward's feet. Um, and I think it's a really hard thing when you're taking a game um, that's really well known for uh, for being a, a 2D game with a, with a really expressive and vibrant 2D art style. Um, and then moving that into 3D, I think that's really difficult. Um, and I think they did the best job that you you could. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because the original games were well. I mean, it was for the Game Boy Advance. It was pixel art. And it was very good pixel art too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, nice big character sprites uh, in terms of the the, the character pictures, uh, little cute little little guys on the map. Uh, you know, it was pretty solid pixel art. Whereas the remakes are using 3D for the battlefields and the little sprite characters and mm -hmm. uh the full size character sprites are now hd um how do they look in comparison to the original game yeah so um i i would say there's a pretty i think the th first thing people will notice um if they've played the uh, original games is that the art style is different so um the the original games had more of a anime influenced um art style um, and then as the series went on, so with two and then dual strike later, they slowly got a little more realistic with the art style and um, 
getting you know pretty detailed with the with the 2D uh, portrait art. Mm. And uh, this game is kind of the opposite. So they take more of like a Western Saturday morning cartoon art style for the character designs. Most of the characters have been redesigned. Um, and I would say mostly I don't think it's for the better um, just because they they lose a lot of um, like the the details and the more expressive um, things about some of the character designs just didn't transfer over well into the kind of Western rounded look of the, mm. of the new character designs, unfortunately. It's so strange. This series is, believe it or not, it's one of Nintendo's longest running series, the War series. The Wars series. Uh, it started off with Famicom Wars in 1988, uh, and they released new titles for every single console that they had. So they had Game Boy Wars. Uh, they had Super Famicom Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they released Advance Wars. And then uh, they released a, a spin-off for the GameCube called Battalion Wars. And then after Days of Ruined, which was a departure in terms of style and tone, mm-hmm. uh, they just kind of stopped. And it seems weird to me because Nintendo loves to slap the word Switch on everything. And I think <laughs> Switch Wars just sounds right. So I'm surprised they've never done a sequel for the Switch. Yeah, um, I, I I am kind of surprised by that as well. I think, um, you know, it may have something to do with uh, intelligent systems priorities. So in that time, since we got the last Advance Wars game, um, the Fire Emblem series has really taken off in a way. Oh, has that... it? I haven't heard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, went from being a series on the verge of cancellation to being like a multi-million selling series and one of their tentpole releases um, for the Switch. So I think um, that Intelligent Systems has just been so much more focused on um, Fire Emblem and um, stewarding that series and doing different things with that. You know, they got the mobile game and they've had, um, you know, two releases on the Switch now. So I think that um, they just don't really have time for Advance Wars. And I think also the the thing to remember about Ad- Advance Wars um, and the later entries in the Wars series in general is they've never really performed very well in Japan. Mm. Um, and I think that um, particularly for Nintendo and intelligent systems, I think the domestic market is really important to them. So that might be part of why it's on the back burner um, why there wasn't interest in necessarily from intelligence systems and doing a new one. I mean, at this point, it's not in the back burn. At this point, they put it to the back of the freezer. <laughs> yeah. They didn't even use it. They didn't even use like a, uh, they didn't even put it in a Ziploc bag. It's in like a garbage bag in the back. <laughs> freezer burned as crap. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that might be why they opted to do this remake with the Western studio instead. And mm-hmm. I think on paper, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I, I it's, you know, it's sounding a little bit negative, but I, I want to, you know, stress that the core of these games, of the original games, is still intact in this release. And I think if you've never played either um, Advance Wars uh, 1 or 2, then I think that this is a good um, release to pick up if you've never experienced them. Um, I yeah. think if you're someone who has played them a ton, then there's just not a lot new here to offer you. Um, but for new players, absolutely, 100% go pick this up if you like strategy games. Yeah, I mean, this is not a brutal meditation on the realities of war. Uh, this is not uh, this war of mine. This is a, a fun and goofy Saturday morning cartoon war game with larger-than-life characters. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's one of the really, um, you know, the the best things about the series and mm-hmm. um, something that does pretty much carry over in this game despite the art style changes um, is that, 
it's a really goofy, eccentric cast of characters. And, um, you know, before every mission, they interact back and forth with each other and they have banter and there's, you know, a lot of joking and they um, kind of like, I would say, like a almost like Ace Attorney characters, but not Mm. as deep where they have that little bit of quirkiness and and weirdness and uh, um, maybe a bit of a stereotype or two that they kind of lean into. Mm -hmm. Um, But it makes for a really fun um, experience. And I think that's definitely something that fans have always latched on to. And yeah. uh, I think that one one thing actually about this release that is in its favor as far as that goes is that there's voice acting um, in this oh, release. Okay. So um, it's not fully voice acted. Usually when there's a new uh, dialogue scene, maybe the first few lines will be fully voiced. And then after that, it'll be either, you know, grunts or maybe one, the first word or thing, exclamations mm-hmm. or things like that. Um, and then in battle, they'll, you know, have some voice lines. Um, so that is one nice thing. Um, so they that, really are leaning into the Saturday morning cartoon of it all. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, I think the voice acting is generally very, very good, mm-hmm. um, in the remake. Um, it probably helps that there's not like a ton of it. Um, but, um, I think all the, the performances are really great and they, it adds a little bit of extra personality, yeah. um, you know, that I think people have come to expect from, you know, games on the switch versus like you know, a game that came out 20 years ago. So uh, oddly, you know what, if this was a brutal meditation on war, it probably would have been released last year. I think Nintendo <laughs> really did not yeah. want to be making light of war in April of 2022. No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, that the tone that it has um, is definitely uh, part of why they didn't want to release it. Cause it would come off maybe as tone deaf. Um, but I do think it's, it's definitely one of the, the game's strengths. Um, Mm. And if you're, if you're looking, you know, for a game that's maybe a little bit more light and breezy um, in terms of the tone and story, um, then Advance Wars um, would definitely uh, fill that, that uh, niche, even if, even though it's a game about war ostensibly. So. Yeah. It's interesting because despite the fact that it is a Saturday morning cartoon, and I mean, it looks, it looks very, it looks like a kid could play. It looks like there, it looks like a show that like, a seven-year-old kid would watch in 1987 mm-hmm. <laughs> um and which is great but the gameplay is actually surprisingly deep for this i mean it still uses like rock paper scissors style mechanics but it's it's a lot of fun it's a it's a fairly deep strategy game oh yes absolutely so um i think uh the the closest um you know comparison i would make is it, it feels a lot like a um like a like a board game like a tabletop war game in some ways um, you know, where every every mission is a new board with new pieces and you're starting from scratch each time um, and you just carry over, you know, what you've learned about the different unit types and how they interact with each other and what the different CO powers are and everything. So um, and, and I think that experience, it, it can be very difficult and challenging, but it always feels fair. Um, and because of that, you know, comparing to Fire Emblem, sometimes in a Fire Emblem game, if you you know, let's say you let too many characters die or you don't level up them up in the right way or you get some random level ups that don't give you a lot of good stats. You can maybe find yourself backed into a corner and that doesn't happen in this game um, because every um, map is, an, is, a new, is a new map and you have new units every, all, each time and you can make new units and do a different strategy if you want. So um, it, it is difficult, but fair and very rewarding when you do figure out the strategy that's going to work so hmm. and including in the strategy is uh you have uh commanding officers so you don't just have your army which is 
you know, the Red Army. Mm -hmm. uh, you also have some commanding officers who you can, uh, who have powers uh, yes. that can be used to change up the gameplay a little bit. So how do how do CO powers work? Yeah, so they um, they charge up with a meter um, that usually, you know, it charges up through combat and different actions you take. So if you uh, capture a building with your infantry or if you take out an enemy unit, then you'll build up that meter. And then once your meter is full, you can activate a power. So um, they're called CO powers. Um, and they all have different effects. A lot of times, you know, most of them will buff your units to give them extra damage and defense and that sort of thing. Um, but they all usually have like a unique property. So Andy is like the first CO that you get control of and his um, actually heals your units. So every unit has 10 points of health and when they engage in battle, then they will lose those points and then they lose strength um, as they lose health because each point of health represents like a... Uh, a member of the of the of the unit. So um, as they lose him, they get weaker. But he can restore the health of units um, with his ability. And then you've got others that, uh, like Olaf, for example, who's a, a big bearded uh, guy, and he can call down a snowstorm on the map, and that damages the um, opposing players' units, and it makes it difficult for them to uh, maneuver their units through the snow, so they have reduced movement range. Um, so all the CEOs have a different unique power and they all interact in really interesting ways. Um, one other thing is that CEOs usually have a strength with a certain type of unit. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, Sammy is one of the orange star, uh, CEOs that you start with and she has really strong infantry units. Um, and then Max is another orange star CEO. And he has really strong tank units, but all of his ranged units are weak because he's not good with them. Um, so that's where a lot of the strategy comes in is both knowing your own um, commanding officer's strengths and then knowing the strengths and weaknesses of the one that you're opposing. Yeah, the uh, you're you're very right when you call it very uh, tabletop board game esque. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, actually, they really lean into that too with this new graphic style. Yes, yes. So in this one, um, you know, originally when you were on the borders of the screen on the GBA, like there was no border; it was just like the map. But on this one, um, they've actually, with the presentation, they've made it so there's actually borders and it's like a little wooden border, like it's a, a board game set on a tabletop. Um, and so it's a really like unique visual flair that they added, but it also allows for you to see all of the map at once. You can zoom out really far with the right stick. And that's actually like kind of a huge change. It sounds small, but... Um, in the originals, you had to like scroll over <laughs> to see mm -hmm. like the whole map. And so now you can see everything at once and it gives you like a full scope of the battlefield, which is a really nice, uh, nice addition that they've added. Yeah. And I mean, there are quite a few updates to this game, clearly mm -hmm. aside from just the graphic style, uh, in your review, you mentioned that, uh, one of the, I guess, problems with the original game is that the AI could cheat because they didn't see the fog of war, whereas you could, and now, they behave realistically in fog of war conditions, making it much more uh, even. And there are a few other things that they've upgraded, including voice acting. Mm -hmm. One of the areas that they upgraded that you were actually disappointed with was the online components of the game. Uh, why, why, why didn't that work for you? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think this is kind of a familiar story, you know, with Nintendo games and online. They're not always at the forefront. Um, of at this point, it's just at this point they have no excuse <laughs> yeah yeah and and it is really kind of surprising um so the two main things that you can do online in this game are you can play versus matches against um another player 
or you can create, there's a big, there's a map editor and the original games had this as well, um, but you can create maps and then share them. So uh, the ability to play against other people online and the, be able, the ability to share maps online are new. And that's cool to see that that's something that you can do. Um, unfortunately, you can only play versus matches against people on your friends list and they can only be one versus one versus matches. Uh, there's no matchmaking in the game. Uh, which I think is just really crazy in 2023 to have an online game with no <laughs> matchmaking. Especially it's very with the ground up remake. It's not like they were stuck with legacy code or anything. <laughs> right, right. It's a complete rework rebuild of the game. So um, there's really like no excuse. Um, I think especially because the game got delayed for a year, uh, that was like an opportunity maybe to burnish some of these features. And they really doesn't seem like they they did and that's really disappointing um the other thing and i well, think I mean, is, to be fair to be fair to them they did have that nice spot in the back of the freezer where it was already so they could <laughs> right. just take it and put it back there and forget about it for a year <laughs> right right which really feels like what they what they did with this release um and uh the other thing is with the map sharing so um you you can share maps online but again only with people on your friends list and there's no platform for uploading or downloading or browsing uh, created user-created maps, which to me is even crazier because Nintendo has Mario Maker, and yeah. that was such a huge success for them. And the core of that game is having a platform to upload and uh, download levels. And so it's just really strange that it's so limited in this game, and um, it's just a huge disappointment. Um that they really didn't implement anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's especially disappointing because Wargroove does, and it does it yes. really well. Yes. And that's the thing is uh, War, in Wargroove, um, I believe how the sharing works is you, uh, it generates a code, and then you can share that code with people. And then if they put that code into their game, it will download the map. Um, and, you know, uh, Chucklefish is a, is a, developer and publisher with way less resources than either mm -hmm. WayForward or Nintendo. So it's interesting that they were able to implement that kind of system and uh, this game does not. But Well, aside from the online disappointments, on the whole, how you, you clearly enjoyed this duo of games, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, very much. Yes, and uh, if... If they came out with, I don't know, like a Advance Wars DS collection, that's clearly something that you would also like to play. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, uh, you know, for some players, I think uh, for some people, they they probably will hear that they fix the Fog of War AI and then they'll rush out and buy this game. You know, for like <laughs> some people who are real diehards, I think even small changes like that are a huge deal. Um And I think if you haven't played the games before and you're on the fence, this is definitely the I would say because of the additional features and tweaks, it is the best way to experience these games now, mm. um, even with the caveat that it's not what it could be. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, overall, it's it's uh, it's a good game. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't ruin the things that made it special in the first place. So um, I, I think definitely people should pick it up. And if they did do a DS uh, collection, I would absolutely. Uh, I would absolutely buy that and play it and love it. And I hope that this game does well so that they uh, know that there is, um, you know, still people who like the series and want to see it continue. Yeah. And then we can get uh, wars. Yeah. Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's, let's move on with a discussion question. So uh, we're running a little bit long, so I, I want to keep this a little bit short. I'm playing uh, the burning shores 
And uh, funny little story I was telling Caitlin, for some reason, whenever I type the burning shores, my fingers miss a letter. So I keep typing the burning shoes, which is strange. Um, <laughs> anyway, I want to know what kind of story DLC do you prefer? Uh, do you prefer the DLC that is fully integrated into the main campaign? Or do you prefer DLC that takes place after you beat the final boss? So kind of like a, uh, a halfway sequel. So, uh, Caitlin, why don't, uh, since you were talking about uh, burning shoes, uh, why don't you start? Uh, so I think, um, obviously, first, I think it depends on the game and the DLC, because I, I could easily see scenarios where uh, both or you know, different scenarios where I prefer one or the other. Um, I think, like, especially since we're talking about Horizon DLC, um, when we're talking about a game like this where there's obviously going to be a sequel, post-game DLC, it's one of the things we were discussing earlier, like it's this difficult thing where they can't really move the overall plot forward. Um, not very much. Uh, they can maybe deal with it a little bit, but like you're never going to be able to like feel like you're really taking that next step. Mm. And so like, I, honestly, I mean, in that kind of scenario, I think I would probably prefer or more, I, I think I'd probably more enjoy um, DLC that is implemented into the main campaign, particularly if it's like, say, for instance, like a lot of Mass Effect DLC uh, that gave you new characters and new, you know, uh, content to do that way. Um, and in Mass Effect, so I've been thinking about that ever since you told us about this question, um, because I was thinking about Arrival from Mass Effect 2, which did try to take a baby step forward between Mass Effect 2 and 3, but ultimately it's the same kind of problem. They can't really they can't mm -hmm. they can't really have the Reapers invade in a, a a you know a DLC for Mass Effect 2 because that's what's supposed to happen in Mass Effect 3. So and not that arrival wasn't bad, but you can tell that it's like, oh well we're just delaying the Reapers. Yeah. So it was, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> And it's this, it the same. It was no Citadel DLC. Yeah, which uh, pro tip: when you play Mass Effect Three, you haven't you haven't played the trilogy, have you? Oh, I'm, I'm, I've beaten it. Yeah, Ben. Um, no, I've actually never played Mass Effect. So okay, well, if you play it for the first time, or if you replay it, this is what I always do to make Mass Effect Three's ending bearable. Uh, I beat Mass Effect Three without doing the Citadel DLC. And then I go back and I reload and I do the Citadel DLC. And I treat the Citadel DLC as an epilogue. I head You don't even have to do a lot of hand-waving to headcanon that taking place as long as you want your Shepard to survive the end of mm -hmm. Mass Effect 3. It actually works surprisingly well, and it is a much better feel-good way to end that game and the trilogy than actually just finishing with the horrible ending on earth um but yeah so like yeah or alternatively andromeda <laughs> oh god yeah well i mean they might I like andromeda but hey maybe they'll redeem andromeda with mass effect 4 like fingers crossed yeah but yeah i think i think in general um it depends on the game and it depends on the dlc but i think i've when i think about dlc that i played mid game and post game um i think oftentimes i kind of gravitate more to liking uh, DLC that's part of the main campaign because a lot of times it adds a nice little extra thing to an experience and elongates that experience and if it's a game mm -hmm. I really like that's cool because I don't want it to end give me mm -hmm. more please give me more 
Um, but I mean, I think there's there are different games where post game DLCs, especially if it's like a you know an enclosed experience, there isn't going to be another uh, story that it's, it's not a trilogy or a connected story. This is a, a one experience. Then a post game DLC where like maybe you get to use full advantage of all of your superpowered abilities by the end of the game could be fun too. Mm. So you know it's there there there's there's merits to both i think pros and cons yeah ben how about you yeah um you know i think uh there's been an interesting um trend uh in the last uh few years for doing like dlc that's almost like standalone um or builds on some of the things that were in the the original game or the main game but isn't necessarily a direct follow-up or taking place within the same world or timeline. So uh, things that come to mind are like uh, the Xenoblade DLC. So either Torna Golden Country or the new um, Xenoblade 3 DLC, or even something like uh, in The Witcher 3, uh, like Blood and Wine, um, where you kind of have this like self-contained expansion. Um, That's probably my favorite uh, type of DLC, but... um, so I guess that that's kind of like doing it within the main game. You know, you don't you don't have to necessarily finish the game to play it, um, but it kind of does its own thing and avoids like being like a mid pool, <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. or a stopgap between the next release. For me, I think it depends on when I'm playing the game, uh, because if I if it's been like a, if I play a game and a year later a big chunky piece of DLC comes out I'm like super excited uh, and to play it and if it's post game oh it continues the story if I'm playing it for the first time and all of the DLC is already released I like it to be integrated into the main quest because then it feels much more like a cohesive experience like with uh let's say you already used Mass Effect let's say Fallout games so like with Fallout the DLC is usually uh integrated into the main campaign like you can do it at any time as long as you are at the correct level so for example uh old world blues in in new vegas uh, with the big mt is one of the best pieces of dlc i've ever played it's so good um and i'm very glad that it happens i'm very glad that you can do you do it before the end of the game you can do it before the end of the game it just feels much more organic um whereas I don't know. Like, I feel like if I have to play a game, if I'm playing a game and then there's a piece of DLC post game, it feels very much anticlimactic. Mm-hmm, like yeah. if, if I'm playing a piece of deal, like this doesn't feel anticlimactic. Burning Shores doesn't feel anticlimactic because it's been a year since I played it. So this feels like a brand new experience. If I had played both at the same time and I had beaten Zenith and then I immediately had to play the Burning Shores to complete the rest of the content, I would feel very, well, this is a little bit been there, done that. And I mean, I already had a nice you know, resolution. Why are we doing this now? So personally, I think I prefer it fully integrated into the main campaign. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, because it calls into, it it makes you think about when they are writing the script or writing the narrative, you know, the, the ending of the game, that's where the narrative is supposed to end. And there are ways that they can write the end of that narrative to facilitate uh, a post-game DLC, but they don't always do that um, or do it well. And then it makes it almost feel like, okay, well, the story already ended. The story had an ending, but now we're doing now we're doing more, and it, it, it can make it feel a little bit like, so what is what's the narrative? What's the overall narrative now? Is it 
Is it one story that has that had an ending and an epilogue? Is it two stories? Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. So yeah, it's and I, I Ben, what you said about how I think some people do try to get around this with like standalone DLC, for example. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, Fall or uh, not Fallout, uh, Far Cry Three, for example. Uh, uh, was it Blood Dragon? Oh, Blood Dragon. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is its own thing, but still very clearly Far Cry Three. Right. Clearly, you do not need to complete Fallout 3 to play Blood Dragon. Yeah, and maybe there's a good middle ground between that. You bringing up Fallout actually made me think of the uh, Far Harbor DLC for Fallout 4, which I thought was really excellent. And that kind of strikes, you know, like like Blood Dragon is like a completely different game. There's Arguably no carryover. It's better than the actual game. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. Far Harbor is definitely the best part of Fallout 4. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're doing something completely standalone, you know, the player can't necessarily bring over the equipment or, or things like that to the new experience where like Far Harbor strikes a nice balance. It's it's a new map, new characters, new, you know, setting, new story and everything. But you can bring everything with you from, um, you know, the wasteland into Far Harbor and still feel like you have the same character and everything. It's just like a mm-hmm. new adventure. So that's probably the best uh, middle ground for for doing something like that. Yeah, I think I think you're actually right about that. Well, uh, thank you both for being on this episode and discussing these games with me. I, I mean, I love Horizon games. I, I've I loved Advance Wars when I play them. So this was a, a pretty great episode for me and my particular game tastes. Um, if you are looking for some, I guess DLC for RPG fan, uh, we opened up a store. We don't sell digital things, but we do sell physical things, which is like like physical DLC. That's uh, a horrible transition, but I'm going to go with it. Um, so yeah, if you uh, want to support us here at RPG Fan, you can visit our shop at www.rpgfan.com shop. And you can get mugs, you can get magnets, you can get t-shirts, all kinds of apparel, baby onesies. Uh, and we now have our 25th anniversary apparel and out. So check those out with our 25th anniversary logo. If you're curious what that looks like, you just look up in the left-hand corner of RPG Fan's current website, and bam, there it is. I think it looks fantastic. Um, If you'd like to support us here at Random Encounter, you can do so by checking out some of our past episodes. We have quite a library of them. Uh, We are not the only podcast here at RPG Fan. We also have Retro Encounter, which is RPG Fan's uh, weekly podcast of many topics. Slosi is on break right now, so Zach is stepping up to take on the podcast with bi-weekly episodes. So you're not going to be getting as many episodes, but they will be excellent quality. Um, And the last episode there was Octopath Traveler 2's spoiler cast. So if you are a fan of Octopath Traveler 2 uh, and want to hear a very cool conversation, check that out. Uh, We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fan's music podcast. Last week's episode was focused on the music of Hitoshi Sakimoto, and then next week's is going to be focused on character themes in RPGs, so check those out. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire me off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about the show, any ideas for discussion questions like the one we just talked about. Uh, please drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com. Or if you would like to connect with me on Mastodon, you can do so at Logan at mastodon.social. I'm not the only person with an online presence on this show. Caitlin, where can we find you online? You can email me at caitlina at rpgfan.com. Cool. And Ben, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, you can email me at benlove at rpgfan.com. Awesome. 
Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. Uh, you could rate us on iTunes or your other podcast players of choice, or you could also leave us a review. I would love to read some reviews on uh, on uh, this show, uh, good or bad. So please leave a review. And uh, again, Ben, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. Ben, I hope this was a good first episode for you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure anytime. Uh, And to everyone out there listening, thank you so much for joining us. And whatever you're playing, have fun.